0: Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today, and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Okay, I have some questions for you. Have you ever wondered where you might run into the most trouble when planning? Or how can you improve you and your team's productivity at work? And where are you going to be able to help grow your business? If you have any of these questions, you are in the right place. This is Sastry in the making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I am so delighted to be joined by my special guest today, Greg Stews from Planless IO. Greg, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So excited to have you on the show, Greg. One of the cool things about this is Greg is one of my clients as well. So I have gotten to know Greg quite a bit over the last few months, and he is a really, really interesting individual, really super smart. He is the founder and CEO of Planless, which is a great platform. It makes planning possible by calculating the best path to success. And Greg has built this thing out himself. He's worked on every piece of the business. So he has an intimate understanding of how to build. And grow a software company from the ground up. Previously to this, he was a former founder of the C and CEO of Aperative, a software development company. So when it comes to building software, he knows his stuff. And now that he's making Planlist, one of the premier applications in the planning world, the product management world or the project management world, I should say, he is really becoming a powerhouse when it comes to SaaS. So, Greg, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks. Very happy to be with you on this. Good, good. I'm glad. Tell me about what's going on lately at PlanLess and what's coming up. Well, we have been
1: uh, working hard these last years to, to come up with PlanLess and, uh, and we launched one year ago now. Almost one year ago, actually, uh, we launched end of October last year. So it has been some pretty exciting times getting our first users and really working with them, improving our tool. Uh, really uh, working closely with them, understanding how we can uh, make our tool better for them and really seeing the results that they're getting out of it also, which is really motivating for us to see that what we've built is really getting results to to other people. And uh, that's what uh, what drives us every day, right?
0: Absolutely. That's part of the fun is seeing what you've done, what you've created, actually create some positive results and create some some momentum for your clients to get better and better, isn't it? It is. It is amazing. (laughs) That's why we're doing this job, right? That makes it all worth it, doesn't it? Exactly. (laughs) So true. What gave you the idea for Planless? I mean, it's really awesome take on the whole project management. I want you to kind of explain it because it's super simple and fantastic. And yet it's very unique in that space. So what gave you the idea for it? And can you explain a little bit more about it? Sure. So I have been in the last 15
1: years in the software development and and marketing industries and have basically managed many different teams and many different projects and uh, a lot of typology of of projects and teams uh, during these years and and always had the same troubles when it came to managing these projects and and managing the best way to move them forward and, and how to ensure that we are making the best use also of our teams and that we can deliver our projects on time, et cetera. And one of the biggest trouble I always had, it was like, how do you really take into account everything that needs to be taken into account when it comes to managing your projects and being able to deal with all of that? Because it's actually, like I like to say, humanly impossible. And that's the problem that I really wanted to solve. And I actually created PlanLess uh, in the beginning for my own needs and uh, have been using it internally. But when we really came up with the algorithm and we saw what really it was capable of doing, we wanted to share that. We wanted really to have other businesses being able to access to that because I have been personally waiting for years that one of the giants in the project management space comes up with some solutions around these problematics and uh, waiting and waiting, and nobody came up with solutions for that. I, I told myself I have to do it by myself if nobody does it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, uh, when this came up and we saw the potential of it, we decided to share that with others and uh, and decided to work closely with some customers during almost two years to really perfect the product for the, the public, not only for our needs, but also answering the needs of other type of businesses and that has been a, a fun adventure and, a, and really, really happy now to make it even better and be capable of doing that, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to know, because you just kind of talked about you worked with your clients, you worked with the market in order to get to a, a good spot to get the product better. The term, of course, product market fit is thrown around a lot. Sometimes people know what that is. Sometimes people don't know. I think you've achieved that very well based on your success rates, which we'll get into in a little bit. But what exactly did you do, if you can dive in there, because a lot of the people who listen to the show are trying to develop out a product, and they don't know exactly how to get that product market fit or when to know that they have it. What exactly did you do to get there, Greg? Well, that's a great question, because actually, uh, I still don't have the answer to that.
1: Uh, (laughs) When do you have product market fit? This is quite complicated, I think, to answer, and there are a lot of possible answers to this question. I really believe that product market needs many different things. First, you need to have customers using it and having results out of it. I think that's the primary goal to have product market fit. But I would say it's going a bit further than that. It's also them using it and having results. And I think that you can really say that you have product market fit when they are starting to recommend you to others. And that's, I think, the key to know that you're on the right track is not only they are using your product, but they are so happy and getting so good results out of it that they are starting to talk about you to others. And uh, I think that we've now achieved that because we have some very happy customers promoting us and that's great. But the path is very difficult to achieve that. And even if if you have a great product or that you think that you have one, that's necessarily the case for others. That's often the trap, I think, for software founders is that this is our baby. We live and breathe every day and we think we have something amazing. But then when it comes to translate that to others, first for them to buy it and then for them to use it and then for them to love it and then for them to recommend it, there's a lot of steps there. Our process is really to not take on too many customers at once. We want to grow slowly instead of acquiring hundreds or thousands of customers at once and not being able to work closely with them. We went really into a process of first working very closely with some customers in a closed beta, really trying to figure out all their needs, come up with a great product, launch it there, starting acquiring users from our marketing and also trying to understand how do we approach people and how do we explain our tool to others? Because we're doing something that nobody else did before. So how people do understand the value in it. And then it's also trying to keep a close relationship with your users, checking in from time to time, seeing how it goes, seeing what can I do for you to make your life easier? What would you love inside of the product? And trying to dig deep into that. It's not not, not just taking their desires but trying to understand really what they want to achieve from this desire. Because often people don't really know what they want. They know what they want to achieve, but they don't necessarily know how. I love this analogy that you always gave to me from Henry Ford, right? If I had to ask my customers what they wanted, they wanted faster the horses, right?
0: Yeah. And
1: people didn't knew that they wanted a car. And I think that's really something to think of every day with uh, when working with customers. It's not just taking their desires in terms of features, but understanding why they want these features and what they want to achieve with that, and then trying to build something for them that maybe they didn't even thought possible. And that's exactly what we created with PlanLess. We did something that nobody actually never thought of, and we actually solving a huge pain through that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to know, because your company, your product does solve a lot of pain, and so kind of piggybacking off of what you're talking about with your customers and getting to know them and seeing the insides of their businesses, where do you see companies running into the most trouble when they are planning? Well, I guessed it in the beginning from my own troubles, right? Uh, okay. But uh, but that
1: talking more and more with, uh, with our customers and our users and, and people that are interested in the product, we saw that coming over and over and over again. And so we even did a study on that on more than 900 businesses, I think almost 1,000 now. And the fact is that almost every business out there is doing what we call guest planning. So basically what is guest planning? It's trying to figure out every day what's the best way to move forward. We basically take all the work that we have to do and uh, try to prioritize what should be done before something else, and try to figure out with our teams through a lot of instinct, a lot of gut feeling decisions, and a lot of collaboration. Okay, what makes the most sense? How should we move forward? And what should we do next? And the fact is that we are all wanting to be more data-driven in our businesses. And when it comes to internal organization, we have no way of being data-driven. The fact is that, like I mentioned before, If you really dive a bit deeper into this problematic, this comes from the fact that planning is something humanly impossible. And uh, people never really thought about that. And uh, most uh, people I talk with never thought about that. The fact is that when you really look at what needs to be considered when it comes to planning work, you have a lot of variables that come into place, right? You have, On one hand, you have your teams and on the other one, you have the work to be done. And then on your team, you have to consider people's skills, people in the skills. Are they more junior or more senior? You have to consider their workload. And then you have to consider a lot of things like meetings, days off, uh, sick leaves, and their availabilities wow. in general. And on the work to be done, it's very similar. You have to consider all your tasks, the skills required to the tasks because not everybody is capable of doing everything. Mm-hmm. Then you have dependencies like Things that cannot start before something else is being done, right? And this can be dependencies between tasks, between phases of projects, or even between projects, depending on your business. And then you have emergencies, priorities, deadlines, delays, waiting times from customers. (laughs) We all know what this is, right? So the fact is that even if you don't have a big team and a lot of tasks, when you start mixing up all of these variables all together... What happened is that you have millions of possibilities in terms of planification. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's humanly impossible. We are incapable as human to, to first consider what all of these possibilities are. And even if we could, the time it would take us to figure out what would be the outcome of each of these possibilities, I mean, a year passed, right? <laughs> yeah. So as we are in fast moving businesses nowadays, and we have to be very agile, this is impossible. So
0: that's really the problem we we aim to solve. I love it. So that's important what you're doing for sure. How can people, how can companies improve productivity at their workplace? Well, there are many, many things that they can do for that on
1: an individual level or on a team's level. We actually published on our blog some time ago, a list of 195 tips that people love, where you can find a lot of inspiration about what you can do to improve your productivity. And I really recommend like to go through the list and picking some of them that you like like and and just trying to implement them. You cannot implement the 195, (laughs) but there are some great ideas and some crazy ones also in the list. (laughs) But when it comes to improving productivity in general, I think it's really what we are trying to solve and it's trying to make this uh, huge mess of planning be a bit more data-driven and stopping having to be constantly on top of everything and on top of everyone, which hurts a lot. Also, internally, uh, people are constantly having to report and to do a lot of meetings to stay on track on things, etc. Really being able to, like I love to say, not having to plan the work, but just focus on working the plan makes people much more happy in their work. And when they are more happy, they are more productive also
0: yeah, I would completely agree with that. That sounds like something that that people need to start thinking of, and I, I love that your tool really helps with that. So I want to kind of go back to where you were after you'd built this great product and you knew that it was something that was going to help people. But then you had some early stage struggles in sales, which happens a lot. I myself, when I was building companies, had the same type of thing in that early stage. It's just tough to kind of get over some of those initial hurdles in the sales process and get people to start buying in. So when did you first realize that you needed help growing your business and that you wanted to take another step to get to that next level? Well, as I mentioned
1: before, I come from the software development and marketing industries. And that's what I know how to do. I know how to build great products. I know how to make them grow. I know how to market them and don't have really problems with that. So in our early stages, when we launched one year ago, The first step for us was to attract people, to get brand awareness and to get to people to know about our solution. And so we started really working on our marketing and it worked out very well. We were able to attract a lot of people and uh, a lot of people tried out our products, but then they did not convert. So we had great feedback like this is really great what we are doing. This is really interesting but then they were not signing up. So what is happening there? What's the problem? So we started trying to improve our onboarding process, trying to refine our training trying to refine our documentation, trying to refine maybe our approach also in marketing. Maybe we were not targeting the right people. And so we worked on a lot of things, trying to improve all of that. And at the end, we had a great oiled machine that was attracting qualified leads. And that was all great. But still, we were having a lot of difficulties closing uh, these deals. We were closing, but not enough. And that's where I, I told myself we need really to get help on selling. This is not our job. We don't know how to do that. I'm not a sales guy. And uh, I'm a great developer. I'm a great marketer, maybe, but I'm not a sales guy tried to figure it out by myself until I realized that this is gonna maybe take me years until I figure it out by myself. And then a guy named Matt appeared on my Facebook wall and uh, started talking with him as a potential customer for us and uh, quickly realized that uh, he would maybe be much more value to us as coach and not as a customer. And uh, we started working together, right? And uh, that has been, for us, a big game changer. Really, really uh, changing our vision on how to sell. And actually, we are not selling. And that's the great part about it. I don't know how to sell, and I will never sell. And I think that selling is not the right way. I think it's helping, it's understanding, it's uh, doing everything to relate to people's pains and problems. And that's where the key is. But uh, for that, you need to know the tips and tricks on how to do that. And that's what I've learned with you uh, through your masterclass and was really, really helpful. Thank God I did it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I love the evolution that you've made to go from thinking I need to sell, sell, sell to now you're helping people. And I love uh, recently you even mentioned that there are certain... Customer, certain prospects that you talk with that you know are not a fit and you don't try to force it. And because of this, your close rates have gone up. Like the last time you told me your close rates, they were great, 25, 30%, up from seven or eight percent. So it's phenomenal to see what you've been able to accomplish in just a short time. But what have you found to be most effective in terms of helping you close deals? I, I love that shift of. I'm now selling. Oh, no, no, just kidding. Now I need to be a consultant. I need to be an advisor. I need to help them find their solution. And I think you've made that great shift. Is there anything else that you've found to be effective in helping you close deals?
1: Well, it's really about about what I said before. It's about listening and understanding people's needs and pains, uh, really trying to understand about their business, about how they work, and about how you can help solve these problems, right? And like you mentioned, there are people uh, that are just not a fit. Uh, Even if I could help them, they're not there yet. They maybe need to go through another step first. And I I generally help them with that. I even send them to competition, which I shouldn't Mm -hmm. do, I know. (laughs) But, uh, But yeah, if that's the first step for them that makes sense, I would prefer that they go there, that they first go through this first step and then they will come to me again later on. But one of the biggest thing that really helps is educating them. Positioning yourself as the expert, positioning yourself as someone that can help them, not just, I have a solution for you. It's explaining them why the way they are doing things today are not working, explaining them, what they're thinking to do about it is maybe not the right solution and explaining it, them exactly how they could achieve what they want in a way that they maybe never thought about. Mm. And it's really this, this education that for us has been a game changer. The listening part and the understanding part combined with educating them and showing them really what they need to do to achieve what they want this has been really a game changer for us in closing deals because at the end, people just understand that you have a great knowledge that they don't have. And so they want to work with you.
0: Yeah, and I love it. You said it before to me, and I think it's fantastic. That's really kind of one of the main goals that we try to reach is you go through your discovery and start educating them. And even before you're showing the product, they're, they're ready to buy, right? You've yeah. been seeing that.
1: Like like we said in a previous call together, the demo at the end is just validation. Generally, once you went through a a great discovery process and and educating them about their needs, they are sold. They already understand that the solution to their problem is this. And now, finally, your demo is just showing them everything that you told them before and uh, relating it to their problems and showing them how to achieve it in real with your tool. Mm -hmm. But at the end it's just the thing that will trigger the logical decision making. Like you say, always Matt, the emotional part is already done. They already understood what's the solution, already are excited about having the solution. They feel relief. Mm -hmm. And now the demo is just the logical validation of it. And that's it. When you're able to bring people through this process at the end, uh, your close rate goes greatly up. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned before going from 7 to 25, and that was just in the last months. Before working with you, I think our close rate was even lower than that. So I can say that we've almost 10 x our close rates, which is, uh, which is uh, really great because now we are <laughs> being largely profitable, which wasn't the case before.
0: Yeah, it's been super fun to watch. The evolution you've made now, you can just see your path. I, I see the confidence that you have now, and you know that just this company has a very bright future. I can see it. Everybody can see it. So looking back, what tips would you give to other software founders who are just kind of getting on their way, just starting out?
1: Well, the first one get help on what you're not good at, right? We all have our specialty. And we should really uh, focus on these ones. But then when you're a software founder, uh, mainly in the beginning, you often have to do everything by yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Even to clean the office at the end of the day, because (laughs) you don't have the possibility to hire some people to clean the office. So as founders, often we have to do things that we are not used to do and we're not good at. And uh you have only two paths possible. Uh, the first one is trying to figure it out by yourself. So cleaning the office shouldn't be so difficult to figure out. But when it comes maybe to selling or to marketing or, or maybe to product development for some founders, I know some great founders that have no technical skills and they hire people to develop the product, right? Get help on that because it's a shortcut. It may cost you some money, But at the end, you're making it back very quickly because... Yeah,
0: your 10x return on your close rate was pretty good. (laughs) Man, if I had to still figure it out
1: during six months or one year by myself, and that I cannot figure it out, probably I will just stop my business because Mm -hmm. I cannot afford it anymore. So I really believe that you should try by yourself always first. But when you see that it's not working out, uh, just get help. That's the first tip that I would give. It maybe seems obvious, but often founders are just trying to push, push, push to make it by themselves. And I have been the first one trying to do that. And sometimes that's not the, the right way. The, the oh, yeah. second part is what I already mentioned before, is really listen to your users without any bias. as uh, Try to understand them without your own knowledge, without your own perspective and your own take on the thing. Try to just listen like if you never heard about the subject before and you're being a total newbie to it and try to understand that as if you were dumb, right? Sometimes that's what I, I say is just ask questions that sometimes seems, the answer sometimes seems obvious and actually you can be sometimes surprised by the answer that people can give to you. And the last tip is if you need help with selling, contact Matt. <laughs> uh, you, you won't regret it. For us, it has been a game changer. And I know that for others, it has been also. I
0: definitely recommend working with Matt. Well, I appreciate the plug, Greg. Checks in the mail for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this has been fantastic. I've loved uh, having you on. You're a good friend, you're a good client. It's been great to see uh, the transformation you have made, and really fun that you've been able to share a lot of the, your insights, a lot of your knowledge and how your product can really, really help a lot of people with us. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. This was Greg Stews from PlanLess. Greg, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and learn more about PlanLess?
1: Well, to get in touch with me, like everybody, I'm on LinkedIn, right? So just search for my name and and connect. I'm always happy to exchange with uh, with people. And if I can help other software founders, always happy to do that. And for our product, it's very easy, planless.io. You'll get all the details you need over there. Book a demo with us. Uh, One of our experts will get on a call with you and uh, we will not try to sell to you. Uh, (laughs) we We will try to understand where you are at and try to help you understand how you can maybe solve your issues that you're having today and how you can scale your business and outperform your competition by being much more organized than they are. Like I I generally like to say, uh, people are always looking at sales and at marketing to their ROI and how to improve their business and their margins, etc. But what about the ROI of your people and your internal organization? How much this can affect your business? So if you are curious about
0: it, jump on a call with us. We're going to help you with that. Yeah, I would absolutely recommend that. So thank you so much, Greg, for coming on. This has really been really good. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. And for everybody else out there, make sure you're subscribing. We do bring on new experts every week. So you're going to be able to learn more about something within the SaaS industry that can help your business. So smash that subscribe button, and then you'll be hearing us more and more. But thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.